This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to The Game, 40 minutes of the best football opinion, or otherwise me trying to look after idiots who make no sense, that's for you to decide. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I am fortunate to be joined by a rather unwell Rory K. Smith, a rather sparkling-looking Pedro Pinto, and from the great Northeast... George Culkin. Later, we'll be trying to improve the Club World Cup, since, as I understand it, many of you don't like it. But first, we'll start with the Premier League. And since George is on board, you guessed it. Let's go straight to sportsdirect.com at St. James Park. Is that what it's called now, George? No, it's got no, a different name, right? you're not allowed. Not allowed to call it that anymore. Those good people at Wonga have re-delivered us back to our birthright. And as part of their sponsorship, Wonga aren't getting their name on the stadium. That's correct. Wonga allegedly have paid money in order not to have their name associated with something. And if now, you can make sense of that, then you're a better man than I can. Is this, this money that, news. this is old news. Is this money that Ashley will have to pay back at extortionate um, interest rates? <laughs> yeah, in 30 days. In <laughs> yeah, 30 days exactly. Yeah. But it's okay, because he was approved over the internet. <laughs> On to football. Um... George, I'm going to throw you wobble there because I'm going to ask you. Um, City started with Sergio Aguero and Carlos Tevez, the two little guys who pass and move. Um, they have a tremendous record when they, when they start together. Is this what Pardew was expecting, and were they as devastating in person as they looked on television? Yeah, I think it's 13 wins, isn't it? When they've started games together, um, they were. It was. It was great. I mean, I, you know, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm based in the northeast, so I don't get to see a lot of Man City or Man United. Or whatever. It's just. It was fabulous watching them in that first half after after the first 10 minutes when Newcastle sort of had a had a go. It was just beautiful. The passing and movement was so quick. They were kind of electric. It was the ball was being moved kind of faster than you could almost keep pace with it at times. It was. It was. It was gorgeous to watch. I mean, it's not. It wasn't languid. It's. It was so sort of. What kind of really struck me was sort of how, um, you know, was sort of how hard they they all worked. I mean, in the first half as a as an attacking force, and then in the second having to sort of defend. It wasn't. It wasn't faultless, but it sort of. It did underpin. It did underpin that victory, which you know there were obviously accusations in the in the Manchester derby that not everybody had had sort of maybe pulled together in quite the same way, which I found which I found sort of interesting. But um, I, you know, I just thought they were. I, I thought they were they were wonderful to watch in that first half. Uh, Roy, so the obvious question is, why don't these people start every single game? Um, I think I know why. Uh, do you know why? Uh, I hope I know the same thing as, as you you do. I think is that because we're both sort of pretentious Europhiles? Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not uh, a pretentious Europhile, and you're not either. You're Italian, so you're allowed to be. You're, you're just being an Italian. Um, no, is it not? I mean, it's partly because Mancini's got other options, and you know, the days of of the same strike partnership start, starting every game or the same players starting every game are, are over to an extent. I think that that's a huge factor. I think the other thing is that Mancini is inherently a massive paranoiac, and he tries to tailor his teams to suit the opposition as he perceives it rather than just naming his his strongest side and saying go on beat that that to me is probably why he um, 
yeah, what, why Aguero and Tevez haven't started as, as often as maybe we would have thought they would. The one thing I, I don't understand, and you may be able to, to explain better than me, is why he didn't start them when they are clearly his best strike force in the Manchester derby. I don't, I, I understand why they don't start every week, but I don't understand why you don't start them in your in your in your toughest game. That was a bit of a, a bit of a mystery to me as well. But uh, since you asked, I think it had to do with the fact that uh, he saw Balotelli uh, as somebody who had, who had trained well that week. Um, he knew Balotelli performed very well against United uh, before, and um, and he thought he was the right guy for the job. I don't think it was masochism, but more broadly speaking, I don't think there's any question that. In Mancini's perfect world, footballers wouldn't just be talented, they'd also be very good little tactical soldiers. And Tevez isn't, or he doesn't see him as that kind of player. Um, Aguero, yes. Uh, and so he opts for different solutions, going with the big man, the, the athletic man, or the good footballer in Tevez uh, to partner Aguero. Um, Pedro, is this, in your view, is it just open and shut that those two should be starting and there's really no reason to mess around with Checo and uh, and the other one? I, I think they're, they're, they're the two best strikers. They know each other for, for many years playing with, with Argentina as well and they're, they're a handful. Because oh, I'm going to jump in there and ask you a question on the back of that because you said we're playing with Argentina, right? People yeah. always talk about this, oh, look, but they've known each other for years. They played on the national team together. I'd love to know how often Tevez and Aguero played as a strike partnership for Argentina. I would guess that while they were in the same squads all the time, I would guess they very rarely happened. And I don't know, do you really have the benefit when there's another guy with them, obviously Messi, uh, or, or indeed other people, Minito or whoever else, who kind of, wouldn't Messi's presence influence the type of running and, and everything they do? That Wouldn't it be completely different when it's a that versus the two of them up front? I, I think when you play a similar style of, of football like both of those do, and when you're in the same squads and you know what, the other strike partners' strengths and weaknesses are that always helps. Whether you're whether you're playing in the first eleven every single time or not, you know each other's game very well, and those two guys do, and they get on very well off off the pitch as well, and and, and that helps. My personal opinion is those two guys should start every time or nearly every time they're healthy. We know in today's modern football that you need to rotate the squad, you need to keep egos happy. Um, I, I agree. Both both of those guys should have played against against United. I think some. Something else which worked for Manchester City uh, this past weekend was the fact that Javi Garcia is back and uh, he, he protects uh, Yaya Touré a lot more and David Silva and Nasri a lot more than someone like Gareth Barry does and his physical presence in midfield makes makes a huge difference and just makes that whole team look a lot more compact. Um, Aguero and Tevez for me are, are two of the best strikers in the league so yeah I, I would always point at both of them to, to, to start uh, every game if possible. Roy, just on the, on the point uh, Pedro made, are you on board with that? And uh, do you think with with Toure going um, to, to the African Cup of Nations, uh, we'll probably see a lot of Barry and Javi Garcia in the middle of the park. Um, is that a massive downgrade for City, or do you share well, the? It, it kind of depends on what you what you see what, what you see as Torre's best position. I actually think I, no one likes Yaya Torre more than me as a footballer and as a man. He's a, he's a lovely bloke, to Yaya, but his he, misses he, perhaps. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what their relationship's like. To be honest, I, I, I do like him a lot, and I'm, it may be more than his misses likes. Um, no, I, 
Yaya's not been great this season for City. I, I, I don't think that's any great secret. That's not exactly a controversial opinion. Um, they, they will miss him because I think he has an aura about him, but he's not the player this season that he was last season. The one thing I would say is interesting that, that, that Pedro sort of singles out Xavi Garcia as being a... Um, a kind of a, a boon for City that he was back because it looks like Mancini's not convinced by him. The reason that they, they sort of spent so long waiting to get him is because Man City didn't think he was good enough. The club didn't think Jesse was good enough. Um, I, I saw him for Benfica a couple of times and was moderately impressed in, in a good side. He looked he looked decent. I wouldn't have picked him out as a £16 million signing to strengthen the champions, but he, he looked like a good player. Mancini wanted other, other targets, fairly obviously he wanted De Rossi. Um, he gets Garcia on, on transfer deadline day. The club aren't convinced. And to be honest, Garcia has not looked that great. He looks a bit too slow, a little bit ponderous for England. That could be, I guess, that he's just... Um, he's just adapting but then if you look at the fact that Mancini seems to be yet again flirting with De Rossi there's talk of Pedro Obian from Sampdoria as well it looks like maybe Mancini's not convinced by Garcia either um, you're saying you're saying Garcia is slow as if Gareth Barry is uh, what exactly because when Gareth Barry moves Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see anyone else around him <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, having I mean, to follow yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, Tori certainly played really well, really well on Saturday. I mean, whether that was from having Garcia beside him or just the fact that kind of coming back, coming back into form. I mean, that's been a that's been a sort of something that you can level at quite a few of sort of City's bigger players this season that they've not quite delivered. Um, delivered what they did last season but I mean there were certainly signs there were certainly signs there on Saturday that um, you know that that was kind of coming back together again I watched Match of the Day and his whole song and dance about Cissé and Ba needing to be close to each other otherwise they're not effective and obviously from, from what I'd seen by the television and obviously Newcastle won some person this season uh, he likes to play three up front and obviously at the weekend there was no Ben Arfa and whatever else What's your take on this? Is it really that different? I mean, they're two very good players. They don't seem to score in the same game at the same time. Is it really that difficult to get these two to play together and, and really, you know, kind of have a, a have a multiplier effect or have a, have a positive it, effect on each other? It has been, yeah. It has. Why been. Um, is it a coaching issue? They've only well, they've only uh, four four three three this season is a is a relatively recent development. They they started playing. 4-4-2 and that certainly wasn't getting that certainly wasn't getting the best out of them as a partnership in fact you know they were just they just weren't a partnership really I, I suspect from what Shearer uh, said on television though he prefers seeing them in a 4-4-2 where they can be next to each other yeah but it just hasn't I mean it just didn't work it just didn't work and so I mean we you know, you'll tell like, Shearer that then huh as, well I mean as as kind of journalists we were asking Pardew about why he wasn't playing the 4-3-3 that, that they'd finished last season with which is when Barr was kind of pushed out to the left and um Cissé was scoring scoring all the time through the middle this this time it's been reversed Barr's been scoring all the all the goals and then in the in the last sort of few games Cissé got moved out to the got moved out to the right but kind of Pardew I mean almost said that that was par partially to sort of take the pressure off Cissé a little bit Um, I mean, but it's it's not. I mean, if, if, if it's difficult to just look at that one thing in isolation because the whole team has been has been uh, you know misfiring certainly compared to, to last time, and key players just haven't been just haven't been the same players as they were as they were last last season. The the bar CCSU you know is, is a big one because um, it's not been it kind of hasn't been resolved satisfactorily from from 
from day one, really. Um, but you know, it's, you can't sort of take it in isolation from the from the struggle that's that's kind of being felt by the rest of them. I would look elsewhere as well uh, on the Newcastle team because you you can only ask your strikers to finish the chances that are created, and I don't see Newcastle creating as much as they did last year. Whether that's teams not being as surprised by their style of play as they were last year, they they're respecting them a lot more, so they're playing deeper. There's less space for Cisse and Ba to operate in. Um, I, I just think there's a problem there creating chances. And George, maybe if you if you watch Newcastle, certainly a lot more than me, you can uh, tell me if I'm right or wrong. No, I mean I th- I, they've they've been incredibly reliant on Hassan Ben Arfa this season. He's been the one sort of creative player that you can't you can't can't criticise. But um, you know he's found himself pretty well shackled as well so they don't have that you know they don't kind of have that outlet and the stats show that they've been kind of resorting to the long ball uh, you know I would say far too far too often this season with the players they've got good thing they gave all those guys those eight year contracts then right well, the, the, so the one interesting thing—I mean, the one interesting thing this season, actually, which which is sort of quite encouraging—is that um, you you would argue, you can argue that sort of in in previous previous seasons, certainly two or three, four years ago, five years ago, under previous regime, even if a Newcastle sort of manager had been uh, overseeing a spell of six six defeats in seven league games, which is what it is now, one one win in ten in all competitions, or one in eleven in all competitions. You know, there would be whispers around the place, and it would kind of come from it would come from the top, and it would filter down, and the city would be sort of alive with speculation. We've all seen that before, and it happens very regularly. Now, the one thing that hasn't happened this season is is that. Uh, Roy, we have to touch upon um, Super Mario Balotelli because uh, he doesn't when he doesn't play, uh, he he makes headlines. Um, Early crucifixion early on on match of the day from Alan Shear. Uh, even though at that point we didn't know that he was taking legal action uh, against the club. Can you just put this in some kind of broader context for me? Because he was fined, according to James Ducker's excellent piece today, he was fined two weeks' wages because he went over the limit in terms of the, the, I guess there's a clause in his contract which says that if you're unavailable through suspension for more than a certain number of games and because of the three um, red cards he got last season he ended up missing more than that number of games and so they fined him now he's appealing against them now this might be in his contract but I'm assuming that it's the kind of clause that the club don't have to enforce unless they really want to right? Yeah, I would guess so. And I mean, to, to, in, in City's defence, Balotelli was suspended for a quite spectacular number of games last season because of red cards. It's, it's incredible that he missed more than twenty. I think James writes that he, he wrote he he, uh, he missed more than twenty percent of the season because of being sent off, which is a huge amount. And and you understand why City would find him two weeks wages for that. Okay, and I, since obviously no real stick up for Mario, then I will. But no, 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 no. no. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not anti Mario. I just okay. I think on on that one you, you can't excuse it. Right. Even even t- take the Scott Parker thing, even if. He, if it was completely an accident that he kicked Scott Parker in the head um, he, he obviously hasn't learned from that and I think City have a right to to try and discipline him to say look there are consequences for these actions I think what, what this is and it's, it's what James has written today Balotelli's time at City is at an end rightly or wrongly whether he is the, the sort of the superstar that all of the managers who've worked with him think he can be or the fairly average half decent on occasion footballer that I've seen um, I, we, we don't know but I suspect his time at City now if they can find a buyer is at an end because he just 
it seems to be the case now that he is not worth the bother that comes with him. That that is kind of empirically true now, and I think Mancini seems to have made that that decision. Although human Mancini, I guess, is that he can always change his mind all the time. Well, and you, but, just, you, you just look at the kind of fundamental uh, role that Carlos Torres now has in has in the team and squad, and compare that to what happened last season, where where he'd been, you know, he'd been sold and gone, and uh, you know, and whatever banished several times over, um, and then you know somehow. Finds himself finds himself sort of back in the team. I mean, it, did, it does feel like that with Balotelli when you're kind of taking yeah. taking action against your own team. But I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that part of this is just trying to get him to sort of you know to, to apply himself to under, to understand that you know to understand that there have to be sort of not just discipline but sort of self right. self discipline. I think those are wise words from George in the same way that Carlos Tevez looked like he was done and then he came back and proved to be very effective. I don't think we can rule out the possibility that Mario could come back and be very effective. But Pedro, I want to ask you, in line, I mean, City's accounts came back last year. They made another enormous loss, um, but it was less than the loss before. And, you know, I think they feel they could be on track for financial fair play if certain things um, fall into place. Obviously, Mansoor has a lot of money, but it's equally true that because of financial fair play, he's got to spend it wisely, not take a huge loss. If there's a situation where I think everybody knows that Balotelli, you might you want to move him on. If there's a situation where if you move him on, you know he's got big wages. You're not going to get a huge fee because his wages are so big. Wouldn't you want to kind of maximize your chances of getting the best possible fee and avoid? sort of fining him or annoying him which will just drive him which will create a guy you still need to pay obviously but and it's going to be more difficult to shift I think there's two different forces at play here one is Manchester City not really sure of what they can do anymore to control Balotelli and Mancini can say for so, only for so long uh, it's okay I know him it's okay I know him it's okay I know him I know how to deal with him well I don't think he does know how to deal with him and I think the club has stepped in and tried to 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 make to make a point and and, and to uh, uh, show him who's boss, so to speak, is that the best possible way to deal with Balotelli? No, I think they should have had a, a, a more intelligent stance perhaps earlier, shortly after he went to Manchester City. The other situation is that uh, Balotelli has been a PR disaster, and his uh, agent Mino Raiola just does not know how to um, control him either. Because whether you like it or not, whether he's a talented footballer or not, his brand has been damaged, and I don't know if there's anything he can do here. In, in the Premier League uh, to change that. Uh, they will make a loss when they sell him. I know from people close to the club that they are shopping him around in January. They're trying to move him to Inter, to Milan, to Juve. They're trying to get some kind of money for him. You're right, there's a huge issue with the, ages, with the wages, but that, there, there's two different um, forces here. I don't know who's going to win. I, I think Balotelli can only win if he realizes he has a problem. And if he doesn't realize that, he's not he's not going to change and his career could be could be affected forever wouldn't be the game podcast without talking about Liverpool of course would it Uh, Liverpool and Villa now Pedro riddle me this okay they say that you can't really 
play well in the Premier League in English football with a three-man defense because three-man defenses are done. Uh, of course, we know that you win nothing with kids and you can't throw in inexperienced people. And uh, there's no bargains in the transfer window. Who could you possibly buy for seven million pounds? Okay, so here's Aston Villa. Horrible, horrible start to the season. Shoestring budget. All these veteran experienced players on enormous wages, most of whom bite the big one. Uh, yes, I'm talking about you, Stephen Ireland and, and Zogby and so on. Darren Bent, I'm a bit more understanding of. Paul Lambert, or Lambert as we like to call him when he does well, he goes out with a three-man defense with all these dudes who nobody, people either hadn't heard of or were, were playing goodness knows where and your Bakers and your Westwoods and your Lehigh's. And he and, and, and they're all kids. Everybody in the starting lineup was at age 24 younger, except for Holman. But, of course, he's Australian and the goalkeeper, Guzan. And they go and they win at Anfield. And Christian Benteke, they go, you can't get a bargain. Seven million pounds. He looks like the real deal. How impressed are you? I'll be more impressed if they can do it more often than just once. Uh, Benteke is a great player. All right, I think their entire starting eleven makes less money than you, Pedro. (laughs) Seriously, that's that's not an accurate statement. Um, Look, I'm impressed by the result. Makes less money than me, then. I'm impressed by the result. Uh, am I impressed about the team because they had one good game? No, no. Are you impressed with what he's done? They, they, they brought in one me game. Here. In one game. No. First of all, they've had a, they've, they've had a they've had a very good run, haven't yeah, they? they haven't lost in five. Yeah. yeah. They're, um, they're, 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 it's, it's, winning at Anfield is kind of is kind of the best result they've had, but they've improved substantially recently. At Villa. They had that really nasty. I start think in the last two months, the only better. teams that have beaten them beaten them in the league are City and United, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad going at all. But the, yeah, I mean, and it isn't, look, I, no one is a bigger fan of Paul, Paul Lambert than, than me. Hang on, no, no one's a bigger fan of Yaya Toro than you. No one's a bigger fan of <laughs> exactly. Paul <Lambert> <laughs> we haven't even mentioned Luis Suarez yet. Leave, leave, leave a man, leave a man for the rest of us. George, <laughs> I'm a very positive person. I can't help it. It's, it's, it's just nice. I just support people in general. <laughs> Benteke is no, a very good player. He's I, he's a solid striker. There's no doubt okay. about it. These these guys worked for each other. They worked for each other th- this weekend. They're, they're stronger. Lambert is is a very good manager. So th- they're going to get better, but it's still a very average team. The three-man defense, if you work on it in training during the week, it will work. A lot of people criticize it because it's kind of a plan B or C or D that really is not invested in uh, in training with hours of players going through positioning and, and different situations so I'm very impressed by the result I'm impressed that they're better but I don't know what else like do you want me to praise them for being amazing well, no I think if at the start of the season we had sat down and said alright what is their likely starting 11 we would have had people like like Dunn in there we would have had Flar in there who of course is injured now um, we, we, we would have had uh, um, we would have had Darren Bent in there we would have had all these people in there who aren't playing. And I think it's remarkable for a new manager to go in, have such a horrid star, especially a guy who's you know not exactly Mr. Smiley out there and, and, and Paul Lambert and not exactly Mr. Man of the People, to go and put all those veterans to one side, some by choice, some not by choice perhaps, and, and, and go and show that you can do things with kids. You can do kids things with like people like Westwood, who you know was, was in the lower divisions. Hey, George, hey, uh, can you help me? Can you, can you show some love for, for, for Paul Lambert since nobody seems to be... Is he, is he, is he showing us that... Is he showing us that there is a different way? Um, 
Well, I suppose I suppose he is, yeah. And they've got, you know, they've got they have got some good they've got some good young players there, and a lot of those young players have been kind of together. Uh, have kind of have risen up at the club together as well so you know there is a level of understanding there and that's you know that's showing kind of continuity to what's happening at Villa I mean I find the you know I find the Darren Bent thing uh, perplexing because yes they've had a good run they're in the semi-final of the League Cup and so on and so forth they've had a very good week but they are 14th in the table they've had they've had real problems this season and Lambert has kind of purposely banished a player who I know he's injured now and he's he's been injured for for, for stretches who specialises in scoring goals and has you know did at Sunderland basically kept Sunderland up not single-handedly but his goals his goals certainly did um, and I, I find that peculiar um, in terms of man management and in terms of kind of cutting cutting those off right. to, despite the face a little bit um, it's pretty it's pretty brave of Lambert you have to say and um, you know fair play fair play in that regard but um, it's pretty early it's pretty early on in the season and they're not you know they're not kind of it's not like they're it's not like they're fourth and fifth in the table they're you know they're, they're 14th and then they're not they're not out of trouble where's Lanzi when you need him George may know better than me but the, the, the weird thing about the Bent situation is is that there doesn't seem to be an explanation for no, it no there's not there isn't, there's, there hasn't there's been, kind of no there hasn't been one there hasn't been one to, to him um, no. so why should there be for the for the rest of us in, in some ways I mean I, as my you know my kind of understanding is that he's not been sort of told there hasn't been a bust up he hasn't been told what he's doing wrong he hasn't been told how to get back in the team and he hasn't been told he can he can kind of go that's my that's 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 sort of that's my understanding of it which just seems a bit it just seems a bit strange to sort of alienate a uh, you know a player of that calibre in terms of scoring goals however well Ben Teke has done and obviously he's been you know he's been very he's been very good do, do you remember yeah, why Ben do you remember why Ben left Sunderland in the first place I'm sure you do yes okay let's leave it at that what, what do you make of the road that, that Liverpool are on thus far this year because to be fair we, we thought of Brendan is this big dogmatic guy, but you know, he's found a space for Shelby in, in the in the top three. He's he's tweaked things a little bit. You know, it's not the same sort of you know Ayatollah four three three that we saw in years past. I have no shame in admitting when I look at Liverpool season, I'm completely lost. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I don't know how good they are. I don't know how bad they are, and I don't. Because some some days they'll turn up and Suarez will be fantastic, and then they say, "Oh, look, Liverpool's only about Suarez." And other days the team will be decent and Suarez will be poor, and then they'll say, "Oh, but there's a future here. Look, they scored without Suarez or whatever it may be." I don't think there's a lot of raw material there at Liverpool as far as skill is concerned. So I think it's difficult for Brendan Rodgers to to really implement a, a fast pace passing game when there aren't that many amazingly skilled players there I think they're in a transition period it's going to take a while they need to to get more bodies in there they need to get a backup uh, a striker and I, I I really don't expect them to do much this year they should be a lot better than they are let's face it because they still are Liverpool and that uh, they still have a better squad than a lot of the other teams out there but I, I'm lost I don't know what's going on up I, there to be honest 
One competition I find really interesting, and we're actually, I get excited every year, is the um, Club World Cup because I get to see teams from other parts of the world that you don't get to see very often. And we had the underdog, brave, brave, plucky Chelsea uh, taking on uh, Brazilian Giants, Corinthians, and nearly pulling off an unlikely uh, upset uh, in the final. Um, Rory, I want to start with you. it's the age-old thing about do people care about this tournament? Do they not care about this tournament? I, I, in the drive over with, with Pedro in the car, I, I, I suggested that perhaps part of the reason this tournament doesn't capture uh, the imagination the way it does in other countries is that you don't have a great historic legacy that everybody talks about. Uh, you, you, you were in the Intercontinental Cup final before, of course, but you know, whereas, for example, in Italy, the, the AC Milan playing Pele Santos in 63 as part of lore I'm assuming uh, Benfica whoever they played was big in Portugal and here in England it's kind of like when Liverpool won the FA, uh, won the, the European Cup and went out there they kind of made it a point of sort of flying out the day before and landing there and being jet lagged and hitting the bar in the golf course and then you know playing Flamengo and getting whooped 4-0 so it's not really part of, of, of any great historic sort of shared um, uh, shared moment um, am I on to something? Yes Yes Thank you all right. yeah, that, 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 that's the sort of, to me anyway, that's the um, that's the kind of defining narrative of English football is that sometimes, almost randomly, English football decides it doesn't really care about something and and then proceeds to pretend it's not important. The rest, there's this idea that oh, it means more to the South Americans than the Europeans. It, that may be the case, but from what I remember of seeing, you know, knowing that Massimo Moratti made it, that was the trophy he really wanted to win because his dad did when when obviously when he was in charge of Inter, uh, seeing Pep Guardiola in tears in Abu Dhabi after Barcelona won the Club World Cup this is a that's a, it's a competition that, that matters in the rest of Europe it is just the English who've decided that it's not important now, now why that that is I have literally no idea well, the United fans when they won it seem to take great delight in, in chanting they were the champions of the world and surely although it's the competition itself is is flawed surely that is a title that you, that you want isn't it yeah, I, 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 I think so. I, 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 I compare it to, to the FA Cup, and like you know, when the third cup draw comes out, and people start writing down like, not the interesting stuff like whichever non-league team is playing Manchester United, but like, no, ooh, look, Rochdale against Torquay, how interesting! Like when they play each other in the league, and it's like, who cares? But then I realized like, this is part of your history and the shared legacy and Ricky George and 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 all that stuff, right, Pedro? I mean, we as foreigners, we we, we respect that and. We acknowledge that. Yeah, I, I, I do feel the, Inter- the Intercontinental Cup has huge history uh, in continental Europe. Um, even when Portuguese teams didn't play, I many times stayed up late or early, whatever you, way you want to look at it. I remember an amazing game between Boca Juniors and Real Madrid when, when Roman, Juan Roman Riquelme was just incredible. I, I, think, I think this is a great competition. It has one thing against it for the European market, which is the time difference. A lot, a lot of those years uh, in Tokyo and in Japan. It's moving to Morocco next year, so hopefully that'll help. I mean, you look at the Europa League and it's a really big deal when other teams from other countries win it. It's just seen as a secondary competition here because of the money and because it's not as big as an FA Cup, for example. It's it's a cultural issue and, I mean, I'm not going to be the one to explain that. All I can tell you is that uh, abroad it's 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 I'm a not, huge uh, thing to win. The the I mean, not the, getting too sucked into the kind of whole 
Europa League thing. I mean, I think that's mm. just a thing of small clubs and, and, and bigger clubs. It would be a massive deal. I, you know, I don't think it would be a massive deal for Manchester United if they won the Europa League. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, but compared to what it would feel like if Newcastle won won the Europa League, for example. But I mean, I, you know, I kind of regard myself as a fairly, you know, cosmopolitan sort of human being. Um, but I, this is the first time I've even thought about this this tournament it's it's not just an issue of time difference it's shoehorned it's shoehorned into the into the um, into the fixture list certainly from from our fixture list Chelsea having to play a kind of quite important game against Leeds in two days two days time in the League Cup it feels like it's um, it feels like George George I'm going to jump in there you've kind of like summed everything up there, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, you no. Like, it, it you're makes playing sense. lower level opposition. <laughs> I know it's a big stark rivalry with Leeds, but it's a freaking league cup. Yeah, but I San, I, it's a Sanchez Watt Cup. Right? I don't I don't know I mean I'm not I'm not a Chelsea fan and I you know I sort of don't report I don't know at the start of the season how many people at Chelsea would seriously thought would seriously have put this down as the chance to win a major uh, trophy. I'll, I'll I might you be wrong. One, the I might, owner well, you know, may, maybe, maybe, but it's, it, the, the, the way it's it's not something that's on, and, and I fully I'm fully prepared to admit that this might be, you know, my failing as opposed to anybody else. But it's this is it's just not something that's on the on in, in the consciousness. It's not something that you know in the way that you would you would chat about a great European match. Did you see you know Did you see Did you see Chelsea in the Champions League last night? You know, did you, did you see that game? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? What about him? What about that? You would talk about that you would talk about it in the pub you would talk about it with mates or colleagues this is the first time I've had a discussion about this I've, I haven't felt compelled to watch any of it I haven't felt uh, but at the same time I recognise that if you've got 30,000 Corinthians fans going to Japan to cheer their team on it is a big deal in the in the you know, sort of in the rest of the world, but it just it feels it from the perspective of over here and not being directly connected to Chelsea. It feels like it's shoehorned. It feels like an irrelevance, and it feels like it's getting in the way of the of the real stuff. Rory, how do we fix this? How, how, how do we how do we bring cosmopolitan football lovers like George into into this precious fold? Uh, well, I, there was a suggestion, I think, in the mail, or maybe the Telegraph uh, last week, which was... Let's not advertise other newspapers, it, OK? It, it, it should, I'm not, I'm criticising. It right. should be played in Europe, as though that is the solution for everything. <laughs> just play it in Europe, and we'll really like it, because if it's not in Europe, it, it just doesn't count. It has to be in Europe. If you want to come and make it in Europe. Have more European teams, maybe. What if they just got rid of all the teams from the rest of the world and just had European teams? <laughs> Does that work? That'd be pretty good, actually. I think the, I think the fact, as Pedro mentioned, it's, it's, in, it's in Morocco next year it was, in, was it in Abu Dhabi last year as well yes yeah, yeah. so it, I, I think having it in the in the near east or in North Africa somewhere like that uh, makes more sense from a time point of view for the European market and possibly actually for the South American market I'm not sure is it better to have it in sort of Morocco or Abu Dhabi than it is to have it in Japan if it's on telly in Brazil I think it probably is well, um, you know, yeah. it's only a couple of hours ahead isn't it so yeah, yeah it's, it's not going to be a huge difference so I think that will improve it um, because it makes it more accessible but I, 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 I think it is purely and simply that there's, there's a danger here that it doesn't really need improving for the rest of the world. The rest of the world that time I think it's fine and, and it's just the English who have a problem with it. So maybe we, we don't need to do too much to make it to make it better. I'd, I'd certainly have the the English or the, the European and South American side, sorry, coming in at the start rather than in the semi-finals. I think that's always bad for competition. The Europa League suffers from that as well. Because it kind of... It, 
it almost it's not good for the integrity of the, of the competition. So I changed that. And whether you could get more sides in it, so you may maybe have two group two two groups of four teams, something like that, that might work. I, 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 I don't know to kind of improve the competitive level. All right, enough of that. Time for some quick hits. Manchester United rolled to a 3-1 win over Sunderland in what was probably their most convincing display of the season. Vidic is back. We get a bit of the old Phil Jones at right back and cleverly lives up to the hype. Pedro, everything clicking into place for Sir Alex? When Nemanja Vidic is fit, I still think he's the best central defender in the Premier League, so that makes a huge difference. And injuries was the main reason why United didn't win the title last year. So I say, if they're fit, they're champions. So yes, things, things are clicking. As for Sunderland, they've won twice since September. George, you wrote recently that O'Neill won't be sacked. Um, I'm going to ask you flat out. Should he be? Um, What's the end game here? Like, what do you think O'Neill's going to turn them into a Europa League side? Well, um, he he won't be sacked. He shouldn't be. Um, he he he'll get January to, to to sign hopefully two or three players and put more of his own imprint on the team. He um, you know he he doesn't regard this as his team yet. He signed two players for money in the summer. This season has been worse than. Um, I think everybody anticipated but we also have to remember I don't think we listened closely enough to O'Neill in the summer when he basically said that struggle was struggle was beckoning um, I don't think he thinks they're good enough they've had too many good players or decent players out of form this season but Sunderland regard him as the best fit for the club and they don't see many other better options for them at least out there Joey Barton said Adele Terapt was useless Harry thinks he's a genius and he leads QPR to their first win of the season a 2-1 victory over Fulham Rory, quick name three guys outside the top ten who are more talented than Terapt and you can't name Suarez oh that's not fair alright I, I shall go for the uh, the dilettante the Lausch the Landwood Dimitar Berbatov uh, slightly nasty French midfielder Johan Kabai and because I can't have Suarez who would obviously be um one of the three uh, faded shadow of his former self Steven Gerrard uh, Terrapt is very talented but it's how he applies that talent which tends to mean he's, he's up and down and which I think gave Barton that impression he's he's a great player to watch sometimes Terrapt but is he reliable enough to get QPR out of the, the huge mess of trouble they're in I'm not entirely sure Spurs defeat Swansea 1-0 but Michael Laudrup is angry because referee Mike Dean doesn't stop the game after Michu was laid out after fortuitous collision with Hugo Lloris uh, Pedro, in more genteel times, uh, it was customary for the other side to put the ball out of play. Uh, but then, of course, because people cheated and feigned injury, we don't do that anymore. So he said, oh, it's all up to the ref. Um, but in a situation like this where he doesn't do it um, and maybe Michu could have been seriously injured, would you would you discipline Dean after the, after the fact? Is there, a be- is there a better way to handle these situations? It's so difficult, isn't it, nowadays when players are rolling around on the floor like they've been shot when, when you find out afterwards in the replay that they weren't touched. This was a situation where there was visibly a collision involving someone's head. I think that should be the exception. Every time it looks like someone has a head injury, stop play. It, it looked dangerous and he looked like he was knocked out. I don't know if he was momentarily. I don't know if he suffered some kind of concussion. Or, But I agree with Laudrup. I, I know why he feels upset and it's, it's a situation where referees should always stop play. Should Dean be disciplined? Well, if, if he is, then they need to find out guidelines and rules for referees stopping play because you can't discipline one guy this week for, for stopping it for reason A and then reason B he doesn't. 
Norwich beat Wigan, which means they've taken 22 of a possible 30 points in their last 10 games. They're seventh in the table. George, you were pally uh, with him in his Newcastle days. Is this all down to Chris Shooten? Or are Norwich simply some magical club in, in, in East Anglia uh, where no matter who goes there, whether it's Lambert or Hewton, they'll do well? And if you were a Newcastle fan, and let's suspend disbelief for a minute, would you swap him for Pardew? I can confirm that they're in East Anglia because that's Anglia, Anglia. That's a fact. That's a fact. Um, what he inherited was a very was a very strong base from from Paul Lambert uh, with a collective that was kind of built up over the past couple of years. What they've been through, he is the perfect man to add to that. That's exactly what he did at Newcastle. Um, he's also got um, you know he's also got some good players. Very pleased to see Wes Houlihan sign a new contract this weekend. When they play well, he's usually the man that makes them makes them tick. So there's a few things there. I wouldn't swap him for Alan Pardew simply because I don't want more managerial instability at Newcastle because that's not the way to progress as a football club. Oh, I love the way you got out of that one. Uh, we love Maron Fellaini, but his triple assault on uh, Ryan Shawcross was as bizarre as it was shameful. A bit like Mark Halsey and his assistant, who managed to not see a headbutt, an elbow, and a smack from the Everton midfielder on three separate occasions. Uh, Fellaini has apologized, and Moyes has promised to come down hard, which I personally think is the right thing to do. Um, but Rory, just how hard should the FA be? How many games is appropriate? Well, the estimates in the papers this morning seem to be somewhere between three and nine, three at the lower end, nine at the higher end I think it'll probably be more than three because there were three elements to the assault there's certainly to me there's kind of two red card offences in there um, the fact that he's apologised should maybe kind of be a mitigating factor but the thing with Fellaini is that he is slightly he, he, he does run that run that risk quite regularly especially with his elbows he has busy elbows Baron Fellaini it is an aspect of his game so he's it, I guess this isn't massively surprising that he's kind of got into trouble yeah the FA should be relatively hard but I don't think there's any need to be overly draconian and sort of ban him for yeah for two months I think that would be slightly strained and the other thing is should it should he be be banned for more games than people are for racially abusing people I'm not so sure uh, big shout out to Ryan Shawcross by the way for not losing his cool and turning Maron Fellaini into a little puddle of hair uh, Gabriele, one for you. Um, I, I heard Jose Mourinho had a pretty tough weekend on and off the pitch. ¿Qué pasó? Uh, well, he, uh, Real Madrid um, were, well, on, on Sunday, Real Madrid played Espanol. Uh, they were they were 2-1 up. They didn't kill the game and they were defended horribly and, and uh, Espanol equalized and it was 2-2 and now they're about roughly a million points behind Barcelona and even he has admitted it's extremely tough for them to get back into it and remind you in third place. But on uh, on Saturday, Marine decided to send one of his uh, servants to go and, uh, and fetch a journalist and take him to one side. And then Mourinho proceeded to read this guy the riot act. He didn't like uh, some of the things that uh, this guy had said on the radio about uh, there being a split in the camp and whatever else. Now, I'm assuming we've all been yelled at privately by managers who didn't like things we write and we said and we can dispute whether you're right or wrong in doing that um, I do think it shows a bit of a sign of weakness from Mourinho here in the way that he did it what was interesting and I have a bit of a problem with is that this journalist then took everything Mourinho told him 
and printed everything verbatim in the newspaper. Uh, and given that that newspaper was Marca, which is very tight with Real Madrid, you know it was done probably with the club's blessing. So, and Mourinho said a bunch of things in that saying, like, for example, I know there's 21 players who would die for me and there's three of them who are trying to screw me over and so on. It's a bad situation for Mourinho to be in. I don't think it's entirely his fault, um, but uh, this story's going to run and run. All right, that's all we got time for this week. It's been fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts or email us, as so many of you do every week, at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Of course, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find news, views, web chats, blog, analysis. Monday is my favorite day of the week, not just because I get to do the game podcast with a very talented Chris Skinner, but because it's often a Rory Smith trifecta. I get Rory in for the for the podcast, even when he's... Uh, uh, when when he's on well, like today, we get to uh, I get to read Rory's blog and I get Rory's web chat. What could be more? Triple Rory. Uh, but of course, there's other wonderful days of the week, like the days of the week when George does his web chat, which is well, usually never, um, but this week Wednesday. Exactly, it's a special week, and of course, George's blog uh, highlight of the week as well. Uh, we're on Twitter. It's at Calkin the Times. It's uh, at Pedro CNN. That it's is at Marcotti. Uh, I believe you're on Twitter too. Too, Rory. Uh, so, yeah, at Rory Smith Times. At Rory Smith Times. There you go. So please reach out to us. We love to hear from you. Till next week. Bye bye.